Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. Thank you for being here, and thank you to those who are joining us uh, on the live stream. We are uh, going to continue tonight in our uh, walk through the gospel according to Mark, as we've been uh, in it now for quite some time. We're in chapter number 12. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1, read down through verse number 12. Now, that's the same text that I read and preached from the last time that I preached, which was some three weeks ago, probably, or maybe even more than that. But uh, I, uh, I want to uh, deal with some uh, with a section of this text that uh, I didn't deal with very uh, very much the last time. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and seek his face and, uh, and then we'll read our scripture. Oh Lord, how desperately we need to hear from you tonight. May our eyes and our hearts and our ears be in tune with you. May we be focused upon you. May every word that we hear be as if it were spoken from your very mouth. And may we receive the preaching and teaching of your word as, uh, as it is directed to us, not just to those uh, to whom you spoke as you walked on the earth, but to us as well, because your spirit has preserved it down through these centuries for us. And we have it now before us, and we know that it's not just for them, it's for us. And so speak to us tonight through your word. I pray that you would use this, uh, the services as they go forth from this church as, uh, as Brother Art taught us this morning out of the book of Micah chapter 6 and as uh, Pastor Russ taught us in the worship service about the church of Laodicea in the book of the Revelation. Lord, we pray that these messages would go out with your power, that you would direct them to the very person who needs to hear those things contained in those messages. We know you've determined to save the lost through the preaching of the gospel. And so we ask that you would use our preaching to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now you remember, I hope you remember, that when we talked about uh, this, the last time that we mentioned how that Jesus is giving something, a, a parable that's almost word for word from a parable that uh, 
uh, Isaiah gave. Actually, it was not a parable. It was a song. Isaiah uh, gave it as a song, and it had almost the very same language. But in Isaiah's passage, there uh, was just no fruit rendered from the vineyard, and so God said that he would lay it flat, that he would tear down the wall and tear down the edge and let it be trodden underfoot. But Jesus is speaking to religious leaders, if you'll remember. He's speaking to the people who are supposed to be the attendants. They're supposed to be like these uh, tenants in the parable that uh, were supposed to uh, work the vineyard so that it could produce maximum fruit. And not just maximum as far as quantity is concerned, but maximum quality. And so he, uh, he is speaking to these religious leaders who had come to him and ask him, by what authority did you, are you doing all these things? Because Jesus had overturned uh, the money changers' tables and he had driven out those that bought and sold and driven out the livestock. And, and, uh, and so they wanted to ask him. They were challenging him. It wasn't just a word of curiosity. They were challenging him. Who told you you could do that? You didn't get your, your permission from us, so who told you that you could do that? Where'd you get that authority? And Jesus said to them, uh, I'll ask you a question, and if you'll answer my question, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. He said the, uh, uh, the baptism of John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from men? And they discussed it among themselves. Well, I, I, I thought of what you were doing this morning. Uh, they, they discussed it among themselves and uh, decided that if they said, well, if, uh, if we say it's from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? And what, he's, what they're referring to there is John had identified him as the Messiah. Why didn't you believe him? And if we, dis if we say it's from men, then the people will stone us. They'll be angry because they believe John was a prophet. We cannot tell, they said. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so these, this is the people that he's talking to here. He's talking to the religious leaders. And let me say this. I'm saying this to me. I'm saying this to me. I'm not saying it to anyone else. But I tremble when I see how serious God is about the responsibility that he has given to church leaders, to religious leaders. We don't have any right whatsoever to fail in trying to tend his vineyard, in trying to enable his people to produce maximum quality of fruit and maximum quantity of fruit. And, uh, and so he takes this thing seriously and he's confronting 
these religious leaders with this. And he tells about this wine, uh, this uh, vineyard and the wine press and the tower and how he, it was leased out to tenants. And the only thing those tenants had to do was to give fruit. Make sure that the owner got the fruit. Now we know that the owner is God. We know that the tenants are, uh, or, and the vineyard itself is the people of Israel. But the tenants that he's talking about are the religious leaders. And so he said, uh, so when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed, and he had still one other. A beloved son. So I mean this is. He's, he's come down to this point. Where he's going to get. He wants to get the fruit. And so he sends. His beloved son. The beloved son. Of course is Jesus. The servants that he'd sent. Is a picture of the prophets. That had come. And had been mistreated. And ill used by the people of Israel. They did not take them as messengers of God. They rejected them. And just as God spoke to Samuel after the people asked for a king for themselves. He said they have not rejected you. They've rejected me. They were rejecting God all this time. And uh, he said, finally, he sent his son, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. Well, don't misunderstand. They will respect his son. They didn't respect his son. But there's coming a day when they will, every knee will bow to him. He sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Well, do you see the picture here? Uh, I know we do. We see the picture. This is Jesus, the son, has been rejected, rejected in the name of the father, rejected as the Messiah, rejected as uh, the uh, leader in Israel. They rejected him because they hated him. They could not fool him. He looked right through the facade of their religious exterior and saw the whited sepulchers that were full of dead men's bones. Jesus could not be fooled by them. They hated him for it. And so 
They threw him out of the vineyard. They took him out uh, by the hands of the Romans, no doubt, but with the approval and design of the people of Israel, they took him outside the city, nailed him to a cross. They had beaten him bloody and ripped the beard from his face and, and plowed furrows down his back with the cat of nine tails and nailed him to a cross and let him hang there in open shame. And they said, here's what we think about the one who came down from heaven. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Now in Mark's telling, he Jesus gives the answer, but in, uh, I believe it's in Matthew's, uh, the people answer. These leaders answer. They said he'll destroy those miserable servants. And give the vineyard to others. Now Jesus says here he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So they know that I mean this is a this is a parable that they know very well and so they know that Jesus is using that parable to speak of them and uh, they are rather than being convicted by it rather than being uh, uh, broken hearted about it and saying oh lord you're right that's exactly what we have done and falling on their face before him in repentance, they did not do that. Rather, they got angry with it. And the last verse here, verse number 12, says that they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. But now Jesus changes the metaphor. He goes from an agricultural metaphor to a uh, architectural metaphor. He starts talking about building. So something new. He's changed now to something new. And I can't help but think when I think about him changing to a new metaphor that, uh, that there's something in there about the fact that, that there is a new day coming. There is a new covenant that he is there to initiate. He is there to make that new covenant uh, uh, real, to come to pass. He as the heir is going to die and then he's going to rise again and that covenant that testament that uh, uh, that will uh, so to speak is going to be made in force for his people you see he is not talking here although he's using the language of Arch uh, architecture, 
started to say archaeology. Architecture. He is not talking about a physical building. He's talking about a cornerstone of a building. It is a building and uh, uh, it is really a building, but it's a spiritual building that he's talking about. He's already told them about that temple, uh, that, uh, uh, that temple hill that should be cast into the sea. It's going to be done away with. And now we see that the, uh, uh, the new building, the new construction is the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and he is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. A singular cornerstone. Notice how he says to them, Have you not read this scripture? The stone, the stone, not a stone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He is the singular cornerstone. There is no other. There's no other like it. There's no other that could replace it. He is the chief cornerstone. It is a structural Stone. It is laid at the very beginning in the foundation. It has to be as near perfect as possible. And on this cornerstone, it's going to support. It's got to be strong. And so it has to be able to support the weight of two walls coming together to make a corner. And this cornerstone is unlike any other cornerstone that you've ever heard of. It is, this is a life-giving cornerstone, a saving stone, a stone that supplies everything necessary for every other part of the building. We'll see in the book of Revelation that he that the Lord talks about us as parts of the temple uh, of Christ or the bride of Christ, and we'll be uh, uh, pillars in the temple and and stones and things like that. This is what Jesus is doing. He is building a kingdom. He's building a house he's building a church and every individual that is a part of it is uh, a a living part of it he says in first peter chapter number two first peter chapter number two i'm going to start in verse number one he says so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. 
or the ESV says like newborn infants long, long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So he's talking about something that makes you grow and only living things can grow, right? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And, and listen, it, it, it's just the same thing as bearing fruit, as being a fruitful Christian, as bringing pleasure to our God. He saved us for his glory. He saved us for his pleasure. He saved us that he might delight in us. And should we not delight in him? Should we not bear the fruit of the spirit to make God's heart glad? He said, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Man, I love that. Oh, don't you just love that? The, the King James says it like uh, uh, you'll not be uh, uh, ashamed. Whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. It means you won't be disappointed. He will not leave you high and dry. You put your trust in him. You can have confidence that he will not disappoint your faith. That day when you breathe your last breath here and take your first breath there, you will see him face to face and you'll say thank you thank you Lord Jesus that you gave me the faith that you sustained my faith and that you were faithful to the faith you gave me oh blessed be his name no disappointments so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become, I've got to talk about that become, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is a, a, a precious stone. Precious means it's of great value. It's a chosen stone. There is no other way that God has ordained. No other what way that God has uh, uh, decreed in which 
one can be saved. He is the stone that the builders rejected. But he's also a strong stone that will support all who stand upon him. All who build their lives on him. He's rejected, a rejected stone, but he's a resurrected stone. That's what this thing of when Jesus said to those in his hearing, he said the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They rejected him. They mistreated him. They beat him, spit on him, cursed him, lied about him, and did everything they could to humiliate and dishonor him and murdered him on the cross. They laughed at him. They spit at him. Even as he was on the cross, they mocked him as he was on the cross. They rejected him in every way imaginable. And finally, when there was no more life in him, they, they took him down from the cross, wrapped him in grave clothes, and carried him to a borrowed tomb and laid him in that tomb. But do you know how he became the head of the corner? He didn't stay in that tomb. Thank God. Thank God he did not stay in the tomb. He stepped out in victory. Defeating death. De destroying our sin. And defeating, dethroning Satan. Isaiah chapter 28. <coughs> I hope this excites you as much as it excites me. Isaiah chapter 28 talks about the cornerstone. And uh, I don't know, what have I got? I'll, I'll read verses 16 and 17 just to save time. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone. Now, when he says Zion here, he's not talking about earthly Israel. He's not talking about ethnic Israel because the Zion of God is a people of every tribe and nation and tongue. You see, this is why this is one of the ways where Israel, the people of Israel, are stumbling on this stone is because they have convinced themselves that because they are descendants of Abraham that uh, and descendants of Jacob and they know it and they can prove it and it's in their DNA, then that means they're the children of God. But the children of God are those who are born again. And born into his family. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid in, as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line. Now, pay close attention to this. I will make justice the line or the level. And righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. You see, this is some uh, interesting things that I jotted down about the cornerstone. The cornerstone uh, has to be the first stone laid. I've already mentioned that. It is the first stone laid. Therefore, it is would have to be the most important stone. There's no building without this first stone. You have to start somewhere. And this, the tradition in Jesus' day, was to have a cornerstone. It would probably be even larger than the other stones in other corners of the building. But this would be the starting place. This is the first one that's put down. And there's going to be two walls that will intersect at right angles. On that stone. And so, it is the first stone laid. The most important stone. Because the rest of the structure is going to be governed and supported and aligned by it. So it has to be perfectly square or the rest of the building is not going to be square. There has to be a straight line. That's why there has to be a plumb line. There has to be, the walls have to be straight coming straight up in reference to that stone. They have to be coming straight out in reference to that stone. And I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't just get the first stone on the cornerstone right and then just walk down through there and just make sure you've got them, got them all even with one another because what you'll do is you'll get down to the end and it'll look like a snake. You know when we put these chairs back out after a, an event here and you put one chair in the right spot and then you just start lining the next ones up and you look and wait, there's some, those are not straight. You have to align them all by that first stone. All of them. It's, uh, it's kind of like, uh, have you ever uh, sawed lumber to length and you measure a piece? That's the perfect length and you cut it the perfect length. And uh, so then you measure the next one by that one, cut it, that's fine. Then you measure the next one by the last one you cut. And pretty soon you've got a longer piece than you started out with because you have to measure them all by the original. And that's, the, that's this cornerstone. It is the place 
It's the stone on which the rest of the structure not only rests and is supported, but it is the stone that aligns the rest of the structure. So it must be as close to perfect as possible. And since it is the very first corner, the place where two walls meet, it... Uh, depends it will depend on the quality and the strength of that stone so it has to be of high quality it has to be of of great strength and it serves as not only a foundation stone but as a guide stone as well so i've already said that now this uh, thing of calling calling Jehovah, calling Jesus, who Jesus of the New Testament is the same as the Jehovah of the Old Testament. I know that we talk about the uh, Father, He is Yahweh, He is Jehovah. We talk about the Son, Jesus. But listen, the purpose of God in Jesus Christ is as old as eternity. God has never had any other way. And in the Old Testament, I was amazed as I went through the Old Testament and even the New Testament to some extent, looking up the places where the stone and the rock are uh, mentioned and it is full. And I'm not just talking about talking about pebbles or rocks. I'm talking about these stones, these mentions of stones or rocks in reference to God. In Exodus chapter 33, do you remember Moses after the children, the people of Israel had rebelled and uh, while he was up on the mountain getting the, uh, uh, the commandments and he came down and they had already made other gods and were worshiping a calf and, and, uh, and were involved in gross idolatry. And he, he was angry and God was angry and God was threatening to uh, just do away with them and forget about them. And Moses interceded for them and then he started praying he said uh, he said if uh, if you're not going with us then don't lead us up because how will it be known that this nation is thy people except you go with us and God said all right my presence will go with you Moses said show me your ways that I may know thee and God said, this thing I will do because you have found favor in my sight. Then in verse number 18, Moses was still not content. He wanted to get closer to God. And he said in verse 18, he said, show me your glory. And in verse number 20, Jehovah said, you can't see my face for no man shall see me and live. And in verse 21, you know, before Moses could have time to get disheartened, he said, Behold, there's a place by me where you will stand on the rock. There it is again, that article, the, not a rock, 
the rock. There's a place by me where you will stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. And Moses got to see the glory of God as it passed by. The Lord, the Lord, rich in mercy. Oh, blessed be his name. Deuteronomy chapter 32. I've just picked out a few of these things just to throw out. Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright. Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David wrote this after he had been delivered from Saul's, one of Saul's attacks. Uh, 18.31, For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? Verse 20, uh, no, excuse me. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Psalm 40, verse number 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destitution out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalm 61, 2. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Isaiah chapter 8, verses uh, <coughs> excuse me, 15. Uh, excuse me, verses 13 through 15. Listen to what he says. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Zechariah chapter 4 Verse number seven, O great mountain before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. There's what Jesus had uh, prophesied or told them about uh, the Temple Mount. It will become a plain, and he shall, he shall bring forward the top stone amid the shouts of grace, grace to it. Acts 4.11, Peter, in answering the council, said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. To Israel, <clears throat> G 
Jesus was and is a stumbling stone. I've already read to you 1 Peter 2.8, but also <clears throat> in Romans 9. Romans 9, verses 32 and 33. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Well, let me start with verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue, pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. That's God's righteousness that's imputed to us. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. For the kingdom of God... Jesus and the church, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20. So then, beginning in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And he's talking now to Jews and Gentiles, members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. <clears throat> to the world, so to Israel, he is still a stumbling stone. For the kingdom of God or the church, he is the cornerstone. To the world system and its rulers, he is the stone cut out without hands. In Daniel chapter 2, verse number 34, Daniel's talking about that vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. He talks about that stone that was cut out without hands that smote those world uh, kingdoms and filled the whole earth. Jesus is that stone. And not only that, to the lost who are still rejecting him, rejecting him in the same way that Israel did and uh, continue to reject him. <clears throat> Not only Israel and its leaders, but everyone who refuses to build their life on the firm foundation of Christ, he becomes a crushing stone. Matthew 21, 44. And this is Matthew's uh, 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 telling of this very same thing. He said uh, <clears throat> in verse number 21, chapter 21, verse 44, 
and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Falling on someone speaks of judgment. And uh, some people think that uh, both ways, falling on the stone creates judgment, falling, uh, the stone falling on you creates judgment. But I kind of feel like that uh, what he's saying here is that in order to be right with him and have a right relationship with the stone, if you fall on it, it will crush you or break you in pieces. And uh, that brokenness is necessary for us to be what we ought to be, that brokenness of repentance. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus talks about uh, uh, building our house on a firm foundation and not building it on the sand. If you build your house on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ, that's his teachings and his work for you in saving grace, if you build your life on that, you will stand the test of time and eternity. And then, fifthly, the to the elect, he is the smitten stone. It reminds me of Exodus chapter 17, where <clears throat> the children, the people of Israel, were complaining about having no water. God showed Moses a rock. He told him to smite the rock. But it was the people who should have been smitten, right? It was the people who deserved to be smitten, not the rock. It was a picture of the wrath and judgment of God that should have been ours, should have been unleashed on all of them, in all of God's fury, but it was released on Christ. That wrath of God. But in, even in the smiting of the rock, water gushed forth. To save and satisfy his people. Well, you say, you, you're just making all that up. How do you know that, that that's about Jesus? Glad you asked. 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse number 4. Well, let me start with verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. That's how we know that he's talking about Jesus, that this is all about Jesus. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that uh, she drinks of that water from Jacob's well. She'll thirst again, but he had water to give, and she'd never thirst again. In John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, 
Jesus stood on the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles and said, If any of you thirst, come to me. Let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly, out of his heart, shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the rock for the elect of God. He is the smitten rock, the one who bore our sins. Well, that is all I have tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What a wonderful Savior you are. That you would so willingly leave the comfort and beauty and glory of heaven and take human flesh and suffer all the horrible things that you did just because your love for us was greater than your dread of suffering. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your saving grace. Please help us that we might truly make you the foundation of our lives and build on that stone that is a stone of stumbling for so many. But it's a foundation stone for us. In Jesus' name.